Hail and well met, everybody. Welcome to Geek Thyself, a show by nerds, for nerds, who love geeking out over random facts and esoteric trivia. My name is Heather. I'm Russell. And we'll be your hosts for this journey through the wondrous land of information. Hi, guys. Welcome to this week's episode of Geek Thyself. Uh, as you've probably already been able to tell, it's just me this week. Uh, because of both Heather and I being busy and prep for everything uh, regarding like future and stuff, we've just decided to keep up with doing a couple individual episodes, uh, and this one's mine. Uh, which is why I'm going to be covering a fun topic that's, well, was fun to me. Uh, as has been brought up before, I studied... <coughs> oh, excuse me. I studied... Uh, yeah. I studied a film degree. <laughs> I don't know why I couldn't remember that for a second. Uh, yeah, I studied a film degree and I've been studying media in general for most of my sort of further education. Uh, I enjoy it quite a bit and I've got quite a bit of passion for it. But we've not really ever talked about it on Geek Thyself and I thought, why not do an episode about it now while I'm on my own? Because, you know, it's my thing more than Heather's, which is totally fine. So... Basically, what I thought we could talk about is just a very, very, very brief history of... <clears throat> a very, very brief history of cameras, of film, and how basically all that sort of started. Um, cameras and photographs have been around since... Well, uh, it's... <laughs> it's uh, I wish it was a bit of an easier question to answer. Uh, there have been sort of historic photo photographic landmarks since as early as the 17th century uh with the oh sorry 16th century i don't know how the century sort of things work um it would be the sorry the 18th century uh and that's in 1717 uh johann heinrich schultz makes fleeting sudden prints of words by using stencil sunlight and a bottle mixture of chalk and silver nitrate uh, in nitric acid uh, simply as an interesting way to demonstrate that the substance inside the bottle darkens when it's exposed to light which is basically how the, the camera sort of collects the data but the actual first thing uh, is uh, in 1800 Thomas Wedgwood uh, conceives of making permanent pictures of camera images by using durable surface coated with light sensitive chemical he succeeds only in producing silhouettes and other shadow images, but is un unable to make them permanent. So that's really like the first semi-image, but again, nothing's permanent uh, that remained uh, until this point. Um, the next sort of thing that happens is a few years later in 1816, uh, Nick, Nick Peace uh, succeeds in making negative photographs of camera images on paper coated with silver chloride, but cannot adequately fix them to stop them from darkening all over when exposed to light for viewing. So uh, that's basically the first permanent image but can't be seen, which is unfortunate. Uh, Nick Peace abandoned silver highlight photography as hopefully. Um, as hopelessly in, uh, permanent and tries using thin coatings, thin coatings <coughs> of bitumen of Judah on metal and glass. He creates the earliest surviving example uh, of this process uh, is from 1825, and he started doing this in 1822. Uh, the actual first photo 
uh, that we still have. Uh, was from him as well. Uh, he created this in 1824. Well, he created the, the method in 1824. Uh, Nick uh, Nipis uh, uh, makes the first durable light-pass camera photograph similar to his surviving 1826 to 1826, uh, 1826 to 1827 photograph on Peter, but created it on the surface of a of a, a lithographic stone. It is destroyed on the course of subsequent. It is destroyed in the course of subsequent experiments yeah so yeah a couple of years later he actually makes the earlier surviving photograph uh, which is just a landscape yeah it reaches an exposure in the camera that lasts at least eight hours and probably several days uh, so yeah it takes about 30 years from when we started making them for them actually to you know actually stick around uh, and then in 1834, so a few years later, Hercules Florence, a French-Brazilian painter and the isolate inventor of photography in Brazil, coined the word photographique for his technique at least four years before John Herschel coined the English word photography. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, 1835, Henry Fox Tabult produces durable silver chloride negative uh, negatives on paper and conceives the two-step negative uh, positive procedure used in most uh, non-electronic photography up to the present, so uh, developing camera film. Uh, okay. And basically this goes on for the, the rest of the, the 1800s uh, with the just going to skip a few because obviously quite a few uh the first durable color photograph is from 1861 um and that was created by uh james clark uh, clerk maxwell presents uh projective additive color image uh, of a multicolored ribbon the first demonstrator of color photography by a three-way method he suggested uh, about five years earlier okay so after this uh we get to after a few more years obviously we get to 19 uh, sorry, yeah 1888 the kodak n1 box camera the first easy to use camera is introduced with the slogan you press the button we do the rest uh so it became the first camera uh in uh, one year later in uh, 1889 the first community commercially available transparent celluloid roll film is introduced by the east Eman company uh, later renamed the east Eman kodak company and and most commonly known as Kodak. So uh, a year after the first camera comes out is when they develop film for it. Uh, in uh, Later on, uh, in 1980, uh, 1898, stupid dyslexia, <laughs> uh, Kodak introduced the folding bra uh, pocket Kodak. And then two years later in 1900, Kodak introduces their first Brownie, a very inexpensive user reloadable point and shoot box camera. Uh, and then that's all of the sort of things that happened in up until the the start of the 1900s. Uh, in this time, is when we're going to jump over a little bit into how moving photos came about. Because obviously by this point, people have cameras and all that good stuff. Uh, the first people to actually create the first film, or moving image, because... It was called that way back then. Is uh, two brothers got uh, by the Lumiere brothers, uh, who are Auguste Marie Louis Knuckles and Louis uh, Jean, uh, were the first filmmakers in what can be recorded history. Anyway, there could have been 
Brothers ones before, but yeah. Uh, the Lumiere Brothers were born in Bescousin, France, to Charles Antoinette Lumiere uh, and Jean Josephine. Uh, oh, Jean, uh, Jenny uh, Josephine Costel Lumiere, who were married in 1861 and moved to Bescousin. I'm terrible with French, I'm so sorry. Setting up a small pho uh, photographic photo studio where August and Lucas were born. Uh, okay. <clears throat> uh, when their father retired in 1892, uh, the brothers began to create moving pictures. They painted in se several significant processes leading up to their to their film camera, most notably film uh, perfor perforations, uh, originally implemented by Emily Freinoid. As a means of advancing the film through the camera and projector. <clears throat> so yeah, they painted some of their things, uh, of like their processes that they used to, to make the their camera. The Lumiere's held their first private screening of projected motion pictures in eighteen ninety five. The first screening on twenty sec on the twenty second of March in eighteen ninety five took place in Paris at the Society for the Development of the National of the National Industry in front of an audience of 200 people. Uh, the main focus of the conference by uh, main <clears throat> the main focus of the conference by Lewis uh, were were to were, in, were the recent developments in the photographic uh, photograph industry mainly research on uh, color photography. Uh, it was much to Lumiere's surprise that the moving black and white images retained more attention than the colorist stills photo uh, photographs at this point. Uh, the Lumiere's gave their first paid public screening uh, in the same year in December, so at the end of the year, at the Salon Indien du Grand Café in Paris. This history-making presentation featured 10 short films, including their first film, uh, Workers Leaving the Lumiere Factory. It does say it in French, but um, I can't. I'll say that uh, each film uh, was roughly 17 meters long which when hand cranked through a projector because that's the least to it runs a pro for approximately 50 seconds uh, and yeah uh, it's believed that their first film uh, the one uh, workers leaving the Lumiere factory was recorded in the same year uh, uh, it was recorded with Leon Bouley's cine cinematographic device which was painted the previous year the date of the recording of their film is in dispute, apparently. Okay, so yeah, quick wrap up on that. Lumiere Brothers are the first people to create moving images in black and white uh, in the very, very, very late 1800s. Okay, uh, soon after this uh, first sort of paid screening, uh, film, uh, film production companies and studios were established all over the world. The first decade of motion picture saw film uh, saw film moving from a novelty to an established mass entertainment industry. The earliest films were black and white, under a minute long, without recorded sound, and consisted of a single shot from a steady camera. Uh, very basic, but still worked. Um, uh, co conventions towards the general cinematic language developed over the course of the years with editing, camera movements, and other uh, cinematic techniques uh, contributing specific roles in the narrative of films. Uh, okay, uh, sp special effects became a feature in movies since the late 19, uh, 18, 
1890s, popularised by George uh, Milius' fantasy films. Many effects were impossible or impractical to perform in theatre plays, and thus added more magic to the experience of movies. Okay. With that, we can talk very briefly about the silent era. Uh, which is basically all of this era that we've started talking about a little bit. It's uh, called the Silent Era from 1985 to 1936. Uh, so, uh, Silent Film Era uh, basically is just the very start of the film uh, industry, like we've already talked about, the, the Luminaire brothers and all that good stuff, and moves on to adding more things. Uh, like, uh, one of the main things that was added, uh, not actually into the film, <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, is live music and other sound accompaniment? Obviously, at this point, we couldn't actually add sound to the film, film production. But what would happen is it would be shown in theaters where we go with a live playing of music, normally a piano. Uh, although it started with a guitarist, guitarist. Uh, shows of silent films almost always featured live music, starting with the guitarist and the first public projection of movies by the Lumiere Brothers in December 28th in 1985. Mm-hmm. Uh, musical scores for early silent films were either improvised or compiled, compiled of classical or theatrical uh, repertory music. Uh, once full features became commonplace, however, music was compiled from f- photo play music by the pianist, organist, orchestra conductor, or the movie studio itself, which included a cue sheet within the film. These sheets were often lengthy, with detailed notes about effects and modes to watch for, starting with the most mostly original score composed by Joseph Carl Brell for D.W. Griffith's uh, groundbreaking epic, The Birth of a Nation, uh, Nation, which came out in 1915. It became relatively common for the big, uh, biggest budget films to arrive at the exhibiting theatre with original, especially composed scores. However, the first designed full-blown scores had in fact been composed in 1908 by Camille saint Celine's The Assassination of the Duke of Gilles and by Mikhail Ipolotiv Ivanov for uh, Stenka Razin. Sorry, it's just... When organists or pianists use sheet music, they still might have added improvisational flourishes to heighten the drama on screen, even when special effects were not indicated in the score. If an organist was playing in the theatre, organ capable of an unusual sound effect, such as galloping horses, it would be used during scenes of dramatic horseback chases. At the height of the silent era, movies were a single largest source of employment for the for instrumental musicians, at least in the United States. However, the introduction of talkies, uh, coupled uh, with the roughly uh, simultaneous onset of the Great Depression, was devastated for, devastating for mo- many musicians. Okay, and actually on that point, before we get into the talkies, which is a different area of the film, we're going to go very briefly into a break. Uh, thanks for listening to me ramble. It's a bit difficult to keep, keep it all in my head. But I will be back in just a minute after the break. Okay, hey guys. Welcome to this week's mid-roll. Obviously, it's just me again, but that's fine. Uh, first, I'm going to talk about what Heather normally talks about, which is World Anvil. World Anvil is the most robust, uh, oh, what is it, 
says, or Logan says, the most robust uh, campaign management software on the internet. And Logan, who is one of our directors, would know because he tested them all at the time when we were looking for a great one to use. And then he found World Anvil and was convinced that they were still the best after looking through everything they do. Their site is perfect for DMs who need to build their world so their players can look at it. Or if you're uh, more interested in making a story or writing books and stuff, you can make it to match your world and add more detail to all of the information that you might not need right now, but you'll use later. It's a great software. Uh, most of their base features are free, which includes robust character information and character builders for your PCs or your main protagonists or whatever you want to use it for. Uh, and then they have even more uh, functions and services and tools and features for their paid version, which is also good, which includes their heroes, which is more character building stuff for D&D campaigns and all that kind of thing. Um, I uh, and so much more. Uh, they are great. They won an any for being one of the best cafe managers on the internet uh, last year. We love them. Uh, you should definitely check them out to go, go over to worldanvil.com. Second, uh, we're going to talk about Die Hard Dice. Die Hard Dice are people who make Sprutendous awesome, beautiful dice. We talk about them a lot because, well, we predominantly play a lot of games and we need dice to play games, especially right now. <laughs> uh, they create awesome metal dice, which they create the molds for and they do what they call a testing in the house for them. And it really shows because all of their, their releases look absolutely stunning. Uh, they have their multiple different series. They've got the, the Spellbinder series where they use two colours to put them together. Makes them look gorgeous. They've got their Brimstone set which they ink the numbers differently as opposed to the actual dice. They're super easy to read. They're super clear. They feel great when you're rolling them. They're just amazing quality. They also have their own polymer dice and mass market polymer dice. They sell a bit both. Uh, their, their own dice uh, include their Moonstone series which just look absolutely gorgeous and they shine like nothing else I've ever seen. I love Die Hard Dice. We love Die Hard Dice. Uh, if you want to go along into their site and look around for anything you like, you can look through like price or character or class for D&D, whatever you want. Uh, you can also look at their accessories which includes the scroll of rolling which is a portable sort of dice, uh, dice mat with which can hold two sets of dice and an extra dice if you want. It's absolutely gorgeous. I love it so much. Uh, if you do find anything you like, you can use the code Geek Thyself to get 15%. That's 1515 off your first or your next order. Uh, so, yeah, if you want to roll with the best, all you need to do is go to dieharddice.com. That's all you need to do. Uh, obviously, it's just me, uh, but just as a quick mention, uh, we have so many other things on the Nerdsmith Network that you can find to sedate uh, whatever kind of things you're into with actual play podcasts, actual play streams, discussion streams, uh, just general sort of uh, nerdy culture things. You can find anything you'd like. All you need to do is go and look at nerdsmith.org and to get all the information about all the different things we put on. Uh, so yeah, go go look at other things while you've got time. It's yay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and with all of that done, uh, we'll jump back into the sort of the last bit of this bit, uh, just because you know it's a lot of information. I can't obviously cover everything. Okay, okay, and I'm back with the rest of this. Now I mentioned it very briefly before going for the break. Uh, the talkies. 
the talkies was a term given to sound film basically uh, a sound film is a motion picture film with synchronized sound or sound technology coupled into the image as opposed to a silent film the first known public exhibition of a projected sound film took place in paris in 1900 but it took decades uh, before so most of the pictures uh, was made commercially practical because it was still very, very expensive and it was only done for 50-second films like that were being made then. Uh, reliable synchronization was difficult to achieve with the early sound on The Simpsons and amplification and recording quality were also inadequate, so it just wasn't worth it. Innovations uh, in the sound on film led to the first commercial screening of short motion pictures using technology which took place in 1923. The primary, uh, the primary steps in the commercialization of sound cinema were taken in the mid to late 20, uh, 1920s. At first, the sound films. Uh, <clears throat> at first, uh, at first, the sound films, which included synchronized dialogue, uh, were known as talking pictures or talkies, uh, and were these were exclusively shorts because, you know, uh, it was difficult to keep the synchronization up because it was done separately and you had to put it together and it was much harder than general editing uh but yeah that's why it was called talkies because it actually didn't have oh a bit backstory supposed to just mention this within uh short films which are silent they basically had sort of like powerpoint slides in the middle of it which would say the dialogue that would be the dialogue from the the, the actors on the screen because uh, you'd see them mouth something and then it would show you what it said and then you see the responses so it was back and forth intercut between the rest of the things which is how they got across the plot with this then they put the dialogue sort of underneath where the the talking was hopefully it would have been recorded at the same time so it looked correct but sometimes it wasn't uh the, the earliest feature uh, length movies with recorded sound uh, only included music and effects the first film originally presented as a talkie was the jazz singer which was released in 1927 uh, it was a major hit and it may and it was made with vitaphone which at the time was the leading brand of sound on disc technology sound on film however would soon become the standard for talking pictures as we know today uh, by the early 1930s the talkies were a global phenomenon in the united states they helped secure hollywood's position as one of the world's most powerful cultural and commercial centers of influence and in europe as well uh, and uh, the new development was treated with suspicion as many filmmakers uh, by many filmmakers and critics who worried that a focus on dialogue would subvert uh, the unique aesthetic virtues of soundless cinema in japan there was a popular film tradition integrated uh, uh, where the popular film tradition integrated silent movie and live vocal performance, talking pictures were slow to take root. Uh, conversely, in India, sound was the transformative element that led to rapid expansion of the, uh, the nation's film industry. Okay, so that's the basic sort of overarching bits of the, of the early talkies. Uh, now we're just going to go into a little bit more detail with how it all started. Uh, obviously, the the idea of combining motion pictures with recorded sound is nearly as old as the concept of cinema. 
because it just makes sense. On February the, uh, the 22nd in 1888, a couple of days after photographer pioneer Edward uh, Muybridge gave a lecture not far from the book, from the lab of Thomas Edison, the two inventors privately met. Uh, Muybridge uh, later claimed that on this occasion, six years before the first commercial motion picture exhibition, which was by the Lumiere brothers, he proposed a scheme for sound cinema that would combine his image uh, casting zoo paraxiscope with holding uh, withholding Edison's recording sound technology. Obviously, no agreements reached at this point, uh, but within a year, Edison commissioned the development of the uh, the key the essentially a peep show system, as a virtual component to his cylinder photograph. The two devices were brought together as the uh, the the Kento phone in uh, in eighteen ninety five, but individual cabinet viewing of motion pictures was soon to be outmoded by the success in film production. Uh, projections, sorry, yeah. Okay, um, so yeah, it's as old as film is anyway. Uh, the the issue is is uh, three major problems still persisted at this time, uh, leading to motion pictures and sound recording largely taking separate paths for about twenty years. Uh, the primary issue was that sync uh, was synchronization, like I've already said. Uh, pictures and sound were obviously recorded and played back on separate devices. All of those things. So it was difficult to maintain a start and to keep them in tandem sometimes. Uh, and also an issue was a volume. Uh, playback volume was hard to achieve. While motion picture projectors soon allowed film to be shown to large theatre audiences, audio technology for uh, the development of electronic amplification could not project satisfactory, uh, could not project basically loud enough to fill the large spaces. Finally, uh, there was uh, there was the challenge of recording fidelity. Uh, the primitive systems of the era produced uh, sound quality very low uh, sound uh, uh, produced very low sound quality unless the performance was stationed directly in front of the cobblestone recording devices, acoustic horns for the most part, imposing severe limits on the sort of films that could be created with live recorded sound. Uh, cinematic innovators attempted to cope with the fundamental synchronization problem in a variety of ways. Uh, an interesting number of motion picture systems relied on gramophone uh, records, known as sound, uh, known as the sound on disc technology we've already talked about. Uh, the records themselves were often referred to as Berliner discs. After one of the primary inventors of the field, German American Emil Berliner, in 1902. Uh, Leon Gaumont again demonstrated his sound on di uh, this chronophone uh, involving an electronical connection he had recently patented uh, uh, to the French phot uh, Photographic Society. Four years later, Gaumont introduced uh, the Elgare phone uh, and a, com a compressed air amplification system based on the uh, Auxtophone, developed by British inventors Horace uh, Short and Charles Parsons. Despite high expectations, uh, Gourmand sound innovations had only limited commercial success. Though improvements, they still were not satisfactory enough to, uh, to address the issues of producing films in, in theatres. Uh, okay. Uh, Alright. Uh, in 20... Uh, 2013. In 1913, Edison introduced a new cylinder-based sync sound apparatus known, just like his uh, original system, as the kinetophone. Uh, instead of films being shown to the individual viewers in like the cabinet, they were now projected onto a screen. 
the phonograph was connected by an intricate arrangement of pulleys to the film projector, allowing under ideal circ- uh, under ideal circuit under ideal circumstances, yeah, sorry, uh, for synchronization. Unfortunately, conditions were rarely ideal, and the new improved uh, machine was retired uh, after a little more than a year. By the mid nineteen tens, the groundswell uh, uh, in commercial sound motion picture exhibition had subsided. Uh, beginning in 1914, the photodrama of creation promoted Jehovah's Witnesses' uh, conception of mankind's genesis was screened around the United States. Eight hours worth of projected visuals uh, involving both slides and live action were synchronized with se- uh, separate recorded uh, lectures and music performances played back on phonograph. Uh, so at the same time as all of this, uh, innovations continued on another significant front in 1900 as part of the research he was conducting on the pho- uh, photophone. The German uh, f- uh, physicist Ernest Rumer recorded the fluctuations of the transmitting arc like as varying shades of light and dark bands uh, onto a continuous roll of photographic film. He then determined that he could reverse the process and re- uh, reproduce the recorded sound from this photographic strip by shining a bright light through the running film strip which uh w- with the resulting varying light illuminating the cell uh, a selenium cell there uh the charges in brightness changes in brightness uh caused a corresponding change in uh, in the material's resistance to electrical currents which was used to modulate the sound produced by in a telephone receiver uh, he called this invention the photographophone uh, which he summarized as it is truly a wonderful process. Sound becomes electricity, then becomes light, causes uh, chemical actions, becomes light, and then electricity, and finally again sound. Uh, Rumor began a correspondence with the French-born London-based Eugene Loust, uh, Loust, who had uh, worked at Edison's lab between eighty-six and ninety-two. In nineteen oh seven, Loust was awarded the first patent for sound on film technology involving the transformation of sound into light waves uh, uh, that are photographically recorded direct onto celluloid as described by historian Scott uh, Edman. It was a double system, that is, the sound was on a different piece of film than the picture. In essence, the sound was captured by a microphone and translated into light waves via a a light valve, a thin ribbon of sensitive metal over a tiny slit. Uh, the sound reaching this room would be converted into light by uh, the, sh- uh, the shivering of the diaphragm, focusing the result light waves through the slit where it would be photographed uh, on the side of the film on a strip about a tenth uh, uh, of an inch wide. Uh, okay, So basically as it looked, it was basically just two running films through it with one being very, very thin at the bottom. Uh, in 1908, uh, Laos purchased a photographophone from Rumor with the intention of perfecting the device for uh, into a commercial product. The sound on film would eventually become the universal standard for synchronization in sound cinema. Laos never successfully exploited his innovations, which came into an effective dead end, unfortunately. In 1914, Finnish inventor Eric uh, Tigerstead was granted German, was granted German patent uh, th- uh, for his sound on film work. Uh, that same year, he apparently demonstrated the film that uh, made with this process to an audience uh, of scientists in Berlin. Hungarian engineer Dennis Milhay submitted his sound on film projects and concept to the Royal Hungarian Patent Court in 1918, uh, and the Patent Award was published four years later. 
where the sound was captured on cylinder disc film none of the available technology was adequate enough for big league commercial process and for many years the heads of major Hollywood films saw little benefit from producing sound in motion pictures obviously that eventually would change because of how we do everything now uh, unfortunately what I <laughs> like I said uh, we're just covering the sort of the origin of it right now because uh, there's way too much to talk about right now but there is obviously more to talk about so if you'd like me to do this again I, I can uh, if I kept talking about this I could probably talk for an hour which wouldn't be great for a solo episode because you would eventually get tired of my voice I promise you um, but if you do have any sort of questions about this kind of thing feel free to get in contact with me or Heather because we're both we're both very into basically everything uh, this is sort of stuff that I enjoyed studying quite a bit, so I'd I'd be happy to geek out and talk with you about it. Uh, you can contact us on the Nursemith Discord. We're just a tag away. Um, I'm one of the moderators there anyway, so not difficult to find. Uh, you can also get in contact with us on Twitter uh, at geek underscore thyself, or you can just get in contact with us uh, with us at our um, Twitter handles. Uh, Heather's is amethyst underscore magic with a ck a magic. And mine is rusty underscore s one eight. Okay, but with all that being said, uh, I will leave you. I love you to it, guys. Thank you very much for listening to me uh, ramble. I hope it was enjoyable for you, and we will hopefully next week be back together for another episode. See you soon, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Geek Thyself. Don't forget to check out all the other amazing content on the Nerdsmith Network. If you have any questions for either of us, you can get in contact with us on Twitter at geek underscore thyself. You can also email us at geekthyself at nerdsmith.org. And please don't forget to go to iTunes and leave us a review or also go anywhere you listen to your podcasts. We'll be back next week with another informative and fun episode. And until then, don't forget to geek thyself. Bye.